last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Six weeks on the dot until opening day here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Brendan, nice 57 degrees outside. Nice yeah. warm day. That begs the question, uh, how do you feel about the new Tiger King show? I, th- I think... The buzz about the new Tiger King show. I, I think you said before, I think you put it perfectly, that when a Tiger King was like all of the all the rage, yeah. they probably greenlit all of these projects yeah. and didn't realize that nobody would care. About a Kate McKinnon-led cast. Love Kate McKinnon. It's not her fault. Eh, once she started doing the Verizon commercials, it was like, all right, maybe, maybe stay in the SNL side yeah. of the world. But that being said, I, I just... The hype around Tiger King has really gone down. It's cooled off, yeah, awfully quickly. I think we all realized pretty quickly that these are these are not good people, and this is not good content. It's just kind of right. it was content to get us through the pandemic. Do you like my transition talking about the weather and then to Tiger King? Yeah, that was uh, really smooth, incredibly, um, incredibly smooth. That's right. what I'm known for. Right, the smooth transitions, Brandon. Yes. Absolutely. Do you have anything you want to add? Before not we really. Get into I mean, I think stuff? I think the Tiger King. Show, I'm so. Not going to watch it. Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I, also, I will, I will say, this is probably a, an unpopular opinion. Oh I have no interest whatsoever in this book of Boba Fett. None. That's, I'm a Star Wars guy. That's not as good of a take. I, I love Star Wars. You mean it's not as hot of a take? Or it's, no, it's, it's a worse take. The Tiger King take, great. Yeah. I think I, everybody... Well, that's a, it's that's not a, a hot popular, take. That's yeah. an incredibly lukewarm take. No, it's a freezing cold take. But this is a... Well, for, okay. slightly warmer, but definitely worse take. So when you talk about hot takes and cold takes, as we jump from topic to topic. Right. Hot take means that it is not popular, right? Right. But you said it was a lukewarm take by me with the Boba Fett thing. So my, so my Tiger King take would have been freezing cold because a lot of people agree with it. Right. So it's not a hot take. It's a cold take. Right. But... I think you were judging the quality of the take and saying that's a lukewarm no, no, take no. because I think, you don't think it's a great take. I have heard some people agree with you on that Boba Fett take, which is okay. why I think it's a lukewarm take. Okay. Because I think a lot of people like it, but I have also heard people be like, eh, I don't really care. Well, because Freezing Cold Takes, that Twitter account, they do takes that end up being wrong. Right. So, like, they were hot takes in the day, but they ended up being incorrect, so they're freezing. Right, but so that's not really the right... Is it right. the quality of the take, or is it the... I usually think of freezing cold take as a take that is so unanimously agreed upon that it's not a take. It's not a take, right. right. You're, just, you're just saying something that is true right. at that point. Right. Whereas a hot take, it's a hot take because it's something you're just trying to be different at yes. that point. And if you say something outrageous, it's like, whoa, that's a very hot take. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've gotten to the bottom well, of this. I think we need to. I think we need to send out some letters here. I think we need to uh, make our voices heard on this topic because I think we need a clear definition. To whom? The president. Whomst? All of the people. Sure. The world leaders. Right. G2 summit. Get to the bottom of this. G12? G force. (laughs) Political science minor in college. We're going to talk today about the Orioles bullpen because people have been suggesting that we do talk about the bullpen. And I, I saw that and I said, we are looking for topics Seems like something good we haven't talked about in a little while. Let's talk about it. And we're also going to talk, first and foremost, about the Orioles' newest addition to their infield slash outfield. That is going to be Shed Long Jr., who they signed to a minor league deal reportedly yesterday. Initially reported by Jeff Passan of ESPN and our own Rock Cabaco confirmed it. They can't make major league deals at this point. I saw a lot of comments on Facebook that said, why aren't they announcing any any major league deals with players, they literally cannot. So these are the only kind of moves they can make. But Shedlong Jr. fits in a long line of still young, former top prospects that the Orioles are attempting to see if there's any untapped potential there. Yeah, kind of similar to the Jorge Mateo signing. I think Shedlong is not 
waiver quite claim. as talented. Yes, waiver claim mm-hmm. of Jorge Mateo. I, I don't think Shedlong is quite that quality of player, but you need to at least see what you have in him. He's just 26 years old. He had a pretty good 2019. He wasn't very good in 2020 or 2021, but in 2019, he hit 263 with a 787 OPS in 42 games and five home runs, and that was in, in his age 23 season. And at the time in 2019, he was the Mariners' 12th-ranked prospect. So if he can get back to that form a little bit, then he might be able to compete for a utility role with the Orioles. I don't see him coming in and taking a starting job, but I think Shedlong is somebody who you at least... It's at least worth adding him to the mix to see if anything's there. Yeah, former 12th round pick in 2013. I'd taken out of high school. Uh, he was traded to the Yankees in January 2019 as part of the Sonny Gray deal. And then he was flipped to Seattle for minor, leaguer, out, minor league outfielder Josh Stowers. Not Kyle Stowers, Josh Stowers. Um, and as you mentioned, he was Seattle's 12th ranked prospect. The, the major league production, like you said, not great, but... For a guy who's 26, you're also looking at minor league production as well because the Orioles have a ton of guys in their 25, 26, 27 range that have just not had enough experience at the big league level. Um, So he is just another guy to add to the mix. And I think the important thing with Shedlong is uh, he was injured and he had surgery in September 2020 to repair a stress fracture in his right shin. And then he underwent a second procedure in October 2021, so he is likely to start the season on the injured list or in rehab mode, as Rockabaco described it. So that could save the Orioles a roster spot. If they intend to keep him around through spring training, they don't have to necessarily take up a t- spot on the 26-man roster in order for him to stay with the club, even though he's still on a minor league deal. So he, he will eventually, if they want to keep him around, have to be added to the 40-man, and that's an important distinction, but... They can start with a full 26-man roster that doesn't include Shedlong. Once he is fully healthy, by a couple weeks into the season, a month into the season, they can activate him, make a corresponding move, and then he will get his opportunity. Right, so that injury designation might actually help him make the team to start the year if the Orioles don't need to use a 26-man roster spot on him. Although, you still do need to look at the 40-man roster and the guys on that roster, so that might impact... Some of the fringe guys that we've mentioned, like Richie Martin, DJ Stewart, Shedlong might have an impact there. He strikes me as kind of a tweener, like kind of how Ryan McKenna was last year, where he's too good for AAA, but the major league numbers aren't there yet. Shedlong was at AAA very briefly last year, just for seven games. He hit 323 with a 933 OPS. So that tells me that he's probably a little bit too good production-wise to be at the AAA level at this point, but the major league level production needs to show up. Well, and he got some experience in AAA back in 2019 as well. So all told, in 63 AAA games, he is a 280 hitter with an 812 OPS. So he has proven himself at that level. My question is, if he does make this Orioles roster, where he will play? Because he's pretty much split time between second base and left field in his big league career, only 110 games, so 66 games at second base, 42 in left, he did only play 24 games at third base in his minor league career as opposed to 394 at second base. So he has this theoretical versatility and ability to play third base, but that's not a whole lot of career games, 24 at third base in his minor league career. I think he's probably going to be more of a second baseman, maybe a Rugned Odor backup Rugned Odor insurance policy. If that signing doesn't work out or if he gets injured, he could fill in as a second baseman because we've talked about there being that spot in particular being awfully thin. I wish that he played a little bit more third base or maybe had some experience at shortstop as well, but his ability to be play in left field helps him a little bit, probably not as much considering they already have Tyler Nevin, Ryan McKenna, Kyle Stowers all jockeying for playing time in the outfield. I think it's going to need to be the versatility if he finds a spot in this major league roster at some point. You mentioned second base. If he's exclusively a second baseman, I don't know if he gets playing time above Rugnet Odor or Jemai Jones or Ramona Rios, whoever you want to put at that spot. If he's exclusively there, he probably doesn't work his way up the depth chart. Same thing with left field. Obviously, Austin Hayes is probably going to be the starter for the Orioles next year. And you mentioned Tyler Nevin and Ryan McKenna. 
Shed Long is probably the fourth guy on that list as well. So I think the versatility, even though it's just theoretical at this point, like you mentioned, I think it needs to show up yeah. because that is how is he, he is going to carve out a spot on this roster. It's probably not going to be as exclusively a second baseman or exclusively a left fielder. If he can play second, third, or left, maybe he has a spot on the major league roster. But if not, it's probably AAA. The only thing is when you sign these guys to minor league deals, oftentimes you're looking to get a good idea of who they are as players during spring training. And with him being hurt, no matter how long spring training ends up being, they're not going to get a look at him. So they're just kind of kind of have to judge his rehab process and determine if they feel comfortable carrying him into the regular season on their 40-man roster because they're not going to get to see him in some grapefruit league action games, which for a lot of these minor league signings, like a Marcos Duplan or some other guys that they've added on minor league deals with an invite to spring training, they're just not going to get to see him in game. So I wouldn't have terribly high expectations for him. I think odds are they'll probably carry him as a little bit of depth into the regular season. I don't anticipate him getting very many regular season games this year, but we'll see. They'll, they will certainly give him an opportunity if he makes the opening day club. Yeah, I think it could be, it's not really a spring training battle because like you said, yeah. if he's hurt, he's not really battling anybody, but I think we could see it come down to a, a few roster spots towards the regular season between Shedlong, Richie Martin, those type of players. Do you think they're done on the infield? No. I also agree. Because I, I don't think Shedlong Jr. starts somewhere, which means I think the Orioles need a starter somewhere. And I, and I think they would probably prefer third baseman right. shortstop yeah. as opposed to second base. So, yeah, I think they will probably add somebody on a major league deal. They are just incapable of doing so right now. All right, let's talk about the bullpen, shall we? We're going to run through the candidates that we think could make the opening day bullpen, could factor into the Orioles' bullpen at some point during the 2022 season. We talked about the outfield. We talked about the infield. We talked about the rotation. There's going to be some overlap in terms of the rotation discussion here because there are some tweeners between guys that could be swing starters or guys that could come out of the bullpen. However, let's start with the guys that are pretty much solidified in this bullpen, and it has to start with Tyler Wells. Last year's Rule 5 draft pick, their second Rule 5 draft pick, Max Aroller, didn't work out. Tyler Wells did. And a 4.11 ERA doesn't really tell the whole story. Honestly, I look back on his season, and I think that he pitched better than that. I think he was thrown in a lot of difficult spots, and he made the most of them. And I think that it showed by the end of the season how much Brandon Hyde trusted him and also how few options Brandon Hyde had that he was calling on Tyler Wells in a lot of high leverage situations by August, September. Yeah, your second round of the Rule 5 draft pick was your best reliever last year. And it wasn't even particularly close. I mean, Tyler well, Wells was... Well, Cole Sulcer. Cole probably. Sulcer, but I think Tyler Wells was more consistent and he was used in probably, even though he wasn't a closer, more high leverage situations. The strikeout percentage was great at 29%. He had a walk percentage of just five and a half. Tyler Wells is going to be probably the most reliable reliever again for Brandon Hyde next year if he's able to repeat his production from this season. I don't know if he's going to be the closer. I think that's, we'll get into Cole Sulcer, but I think Tyler Wells ideally is probably your seventh, eighth inning setup, man. Yeah, I mean, Wells was just four for seven on save opportunities, and he did miss a good chunk of the season uh, with injury. Cole Sulcer led the team in saves. He had eight saves on the season, and I think he uh, just blew two or three saves. So higher save percentage. However, he's 32, Tyler Wells is 27, so a lot to build on. However, I think there was a chance that Cole Sulcer could be used in that closer role if Brandon Hyde designates one player for that. I agree. Uh, but Tyler Wells, yeah, I mean, you look at his stat cast numbers, his numbers on the outside of what you're seeing on the screen, and they were great. Great expected ERA, strikeout percentage, walk percentage, chase rate, width percentage, fastball spin, curveball spin, all above average. The only one that was below average, according to StatCast, was barrel percentage. And I think that's because Wells almost threw too many strikes, which compared to all the other relievers in the bullpen, that's a good problem to have because we saw so many relievers for the Orioles in 2021 struggle to throw strikes. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. 
But Tyler Wells was attacking the strike zone, and for a team that was playing in a lot of long, late games, he came out of the bullpen firing strikes. Did it burn him occasionally? Yes. But I think he'll learn from it in his second big league season, and I think the fact that he is so aggressive and great with his command in that he does attack the strike zone, there are much worse problems to have. Yeah, you mentioned the arsenal. The fastball was by far his best weapon, had a 176 batting average against, which was 12th lowest in the majors and 4th lowest in the American League. So Tyler Wells with that dominating fastball. Like I said, I don't know if he's going to be the closer, but he is going to be in a high leverage role no matter what it is. Yeah, so Tyler Wells, lock. Again, all these are subject to injury designations, changing things, but these are our locks for the bullpen. Tanner Scott has to be a lock for me. Yep. Same age, actually, as Tyler Wells, 27 years old, but he has significantly more big league experience. He's a lefty, as we know. Finished with a 5.17 ERA. The strikeout numbers, incredible. 12 Ks per nine. The walk numbers, not incredible. 6.2 Walks per nine in 54 innings this year. He went 0 for 2 on save opportunities. I mean, he finished second in the second percentile, according to StatCast, in the league in walk percentage. It's been a problem throughout his career. There is still time to adjust and change, but we've said it every single season that Tanner Scott has to have better command, and he has to walk fewer guys, and he hasn't made the adjustment last year. And honestly, considering the great 2020 he had, Granted, only 20-some games that he got in 2020. He took somewhat of a step back in 2021, and especially command-wise. It's got to be frustrating for Brandon Hyde and the coaching staff to see somebody with incredible stuff, incredible strikeout numbers, two excellent pitches, and he just can't get those walk numbers down. Yeah, he's a stuff guy, and the stuff just isn't consistent enough throughout an entire major league season the first half of the year his first 36 games until the end of june he was really good he had a 293 era he had a 184 batting average against with 48 strikeouts in just over 30 innings and then the second half of the year the wheels fell off and he finishes the year with a 517 era so the stuff is good enough where if he can stay consistent he could be the best reliever in the orioles bullpen but as of right now he's the most erratic even though the stuff is really, really good, can you trust Tanner Scott to go out in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning and not walk a bunch of guys? Yeah. And as of right now, you can't. You can't. And that's why I didn't stick him in as many high leverage situations as Cole Sulcer and Tanner Scott, because you just can't trust him. And that's part of the reason they probably weren't able to even field too many trade offers for Tanner Scott when he did have that low ERA through the first half of the season, because teams looked at that walk number and said, if we're in a playoff hunt, I don't know if I can trust this guy to come in and not walk the bases loaded. Right. So he has to get that under control. He has his fastball and his slider that he's pretty much a two-pitch pitcher. And 2021 was the first time he threw his slider more than his fastball. So he threw his slider like 52% of the time as compared to in previous years when it was like 48. So it, it's a slight change there. But I remember times during the season, Jim Palmer and Ben McDonald on the Mass and Broadcast saying he probably needs to go to his fastball a little bit more. He got over-reliant on his slider because it's a great chase pitch. However, if guys aren't swinging at the slider, they're taking those pitches for balls. It's leading to a higher walk rate. So maybe if he is more focused on establishing his fastball first and foremost, because it's an elite fastball, the slider will be more effective. Yeah, it's a chase pitch for a reason because it usually doesn't end up in the zone. Yeah, And if guys aren't chasing... That's just a ball. It's just a ball. <laughs> exactly. But however, all that said, in my mind, he's a lock for the bullpen yes. to start the season. Cole Sulcer is my next lock. 32 years old. I mentioned he led the team in saves this year. He also led the bullpen in ERA with 270 in 63 and a third innings. Honestly, one of the less talked about but better storylines of the season. It felt like after the year, we weren't talking about Cole Sulcer as one of the better players on the team, but you look at his stats after the season ended and he was pretty, pretty great. I, I think it's almost a mentality thing with Cole Sulcer in terms of the fans watching him because in 2020, it felt like you were kind of 
struggling along with Cole Sulcer as Brandon Hyde was trying to work him into that closer role. And it, it felt like you were trying to push Cole Sulcer into a role that he wasn't ready for and wasn't good enough for at that point. But last year, Cole Sulcer was just consistently pretty good. And not a lot of fans talked about it. We didn't talk about it too much. And I think you're right. It was one of the more underrated stories of last year. We talked about Tyler Wells and how cool that story was as, again, the second round pick of the Rule 5 draft. But Cole Sulser was also very good. Yeah. And last year established himself as a the more solid piece in this Orioles bullpen. Well, because Tanner Scott and Paul Fry were so good, I think, through the first half of the season that the storylines of them being the best relievers kind of dominated. And then you had Tyler Wells, who was an exciting story as well. And Solcer is the oldest of all of those guys. So there is, it is less likely that he is going to stick around on this team long-term, considering he's 32. But he also is not arbitration eligible until 2023. So he has several years under contract that the Orioles can play with. If they want to keep him around and keep him as a higher leverage bullpen piece, great. If they want to flip him to a playoff team, works as well, because somebody will get several years of a pretty good reliever. So... He is definitely a lock to make this bullpen, in my mind. And after those four guys, it starts to get a little dicey. After yeah. we, we talk about Tanner Scott, Tyler Wells, uh, and Cole Sulser, and after those three guys, only three locks yeah. so far through the bullpen. Next up, probably Dylan Tate would be my next lock for the bullpen. Yeah. 27 years old, righty. Um, and actually, weirdly enough, didn't think this after the season, but looked at the stats, he led the Orioles' bullpen in innings pitched this year. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Tate, he's fine. <laughs> That's pretty much all you can say about Dylan Tate. I mean, he wasn't spectacular at any point in the season. He didn't have any stretches where he looked like the best reliever on the team. He was, he was fine. And he is a decent part of this bullpen that when you don't have a lot of top-end guys and you just need somebody... Dylan Tate very rarely is going to lose you a game. He's just not going to be spectacular. So Dylan Tate is at least solid and consistent enough, I think, to be a lock in this bullpen. His strikeout numbers aren't nearly high enough for him to be a high-leverage guy, in my opinion. Only 6.5 Ks per nine. You tend to see those numbers more with a starter than a reliever because those are not incredibly high, but... If you're inducing weak contact like Dylan Tate did for most of the season, you can find yourself an okay role in this bullpen. And considering, again, how few options the Orioles have had in recent seasons and how few options Brandon Hyde will have in 2022, barring some big run on free agent relievers, he's going to have to rely on Dylan Tate. And look, he is the same age as Wells and Scott. He is 27, so there is room to grow. However, the strikeout rate indicates that he's probably doesn't have as much potential as the other guys. Yeah, and Vivek on YouTube pointing out almost a 60% ground ball rate yeah. for Dylan Tate. So he's he's finding ways to get guys it's out, even contact. if he's not striking everybody out. Yeah, he's weak contact. Right. And that, that guy is, is useful. He's just not as valuable as right. other, some other guys in the bullpen. But I, I consider him a lock at this point to make, the bull, to make the opening day bullpen. I agree. After that, Paul Fry is my next guy that I think is fringy here. Yeah. Because he finished the season in AAA Norfolk. So 29 years old, and it was a tale of two seasons for Paul Fry. The first half of the season, elite, excellent. All-star caliber reliever, honestly, through the first three months of the season. And then we don't know what happened, but something switched. And it a season that was so promising and exciting for him fell off the table in the final couple months of the season, ended up him getting option down to AAA where he struggled even more. So the first half of the season on June 18th, he had 178 ERA. By August 29th, that ballooned to 608. It's not like after June 18th, he had a 608 ERA. No, he started out with a 178 and his ERA was so bad after that that his cumulative ERA got over six. Just a disastrous two-month stretch for Paul Fry. Yeah, and it didn't make sense. Because Paul Fry was so good to the point where we were talking about at the trade deadline that if Michael Elias wasn't blown away by a deal for either Paul Fry or Tanner Scott, then you don't pull the trigger on a move because Paul Fry or Tanner Scott could be reliable pieces of your bullpen for years to come. Yeah. And now we're talking about Paul Fry as a fringe 
making the roster bullpen arm. Yeah. I mean, he didn't give up a home run for what? Like two and a half months? Yeah. Three months? He was great. Yeah. He was probably the best left-handed reliever in the American League for the first half of the season. And weirdly enough, he had a higher walk rate than Tanner Scott. He had more walks per nine yeah. than Tanner Scott did. Tanner Scott, who was, you know, we just harped on how he has never been a command guy, and that's the one thing he needs to fix. Paul Fry finished with 6.7 walks per nine. And he's supposed to be a command he's guy. He's supposed to be. He, he does not have the stuff that Tanner Scott has. Right. I mean, he's got good stuff, but it's it's not an elite fastball slider chain or slider combo there. So he has to get that command under control. And for a guy that had been a very good command pitcher in recent seasons, he had never had walks per nine over 4.6 in his career, and that jumped up to 6.7. He has to figure that out. And when you're not your command is not good enough, you're going to see the kind of erratic play that we saw from both Scott and Fry, where it's you look excellent one outing and you look completely hittable and you look like a totally different pitcher your next outing. Yeah, I do have one other pitcher that I thought was more of a lock to make the bullpen than Paul Fry, but the difference there being that you've seen it from Fry. You have seen... Even with last year, you've seen a half a year of really good production. So yeah. I do still think well, and Paul Fry seasons, of right? Creep, yeah. So I do think Paul Fry is almost a lock to make this bullpen. I agree with you there. I think someone who's more of a lock is Jorge Lopez. He is not going to be in the starting rotation next year, more than likely, unless you need an emergency starter. I don't think Brandon Hyde is going to go that route again because he was not very good as a starter last year. But out of the bullpen, he showed some solid flashes, and Brandon Hyde talked about the fact that his stuff might just translate better to a shorter bullpen type of role, which is a little bit weird because his advanced numbers wouldn't indicate that as much, but I think the stuff is there for Jorge Lopez. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think a lot of fans were clamoring for through the first several months of the season was to move Jorge Lopez out of the rotation into the bullpen. But we talked about Brandon Hyde didn't have many options. I mean, he had the same Matt Harvey, Bruce Zimmerman, then he got hurt. John Means, then he got hurt. He just did not have many starters. Yeah that he could call on, so they had to keep throwing him out there every five, six days because he had to pitch. He had to start games because he would get to the fourth or fifth inning and things would fall apart. He'd look good for the most part through the first two or three innings, and then things would fall apart, which is all the indications of a bad starter, good reliever. Right, just pitch him for two innings. Exactly, but I think the, I think the Orioles told us what they thought about him. You know, Brandon Hyde was complimentary, as you said, of his performance through the season, but they told us even more about what they said by deciding to tender him a contract and keeping him around when he was projected to make $1.5 million in arbitration. You could say that's a little pricey for what the Orioles are looking for. They tendered him that contract and they agreed to it. So they kept him around. The fact that they're willing to pay him 1.5 means they believe in him enough and they believe in this bullpen experiment that they want to keep him around. Yeah, he very much strikes me as the arm that Brandon Hyde might turn to when a young starting pitcher only goes four or five innings. Right. And you need somebody to get you through the fifth, sixth, seventh inning stretch. I think Jorge Lopez can fill that role pretty well. Because like you said, in his starts last year, he was good for two or three innings and then things went off the rails. Real quick. So just keep him there. Yeah, back to Paul Fry. I think the, the question is, and this is why spring training is so important, for a lot of guys, but Paul Fry in particular, because he finished the season in Norfolk and was not good in Norfolk. 7.88 ERA in not a whole lot of innings, but what ha- in 11 games in AAA, what happened to the fact that he should not have been struggling in AAA given his experience level and the success that he had? So that's why I think that Paul Fry, to me, in my mind, is a lock because not a lock. He, he's most likely going to make this bullpen. However... If he comes out in spring training in Sarasota and he doesn't look good, he looks like the guy that was had a 7.88 ERA in Norfolk, the Orioles can't carry that guy. They got to send him back down. Right. So I think spring training is going to be where he either makes the club or is on the bus. Yeah, because there are other guys that we are about to talk about where they are at least talented enough or have been claimed or whatever it might be to the point where if they have a good spring training and a better spring training than Paul Fry... They deserve the spot. Yeah. 
Vivek also saying Paul Fry splits versus everyone except the Tampa Bay Rays are pretty good. Yeah. He struggled mightily against the Rays last year. It all culminated in his final big league appearance in 2021 where he gave up four runs and only retired one batter at Camden Yards. That was the nadir of his 2021 season, and you could tell things were going to change quickly, and he was optioned shortly after that. So we all want to see the first half, Paul Fry. It's just a matter of regaining that form. Right. What other guys that you just uh, mentioned, you said you had some other guys that you thought were closer to maybe not closer than Paul Fry to a lock, but are intriguing names to watch here. Yeah, I think Isaac Matson is one, was used very weirdly last year. He had four different, he had four appearances in four different months, which was really odd. Isaac Matson was just really never able to carve out a role in the Orioles bullpen last season. And I'm just interested to see what he can do if he's actually given a role at the majors. His four innings, the numbers weren't very good, but he had four innings. So you can't really judge him based off of that major league work. His numbers in AAA Norfolk were also not very good. But Isaac Matson is a name that we talked about going into last year that we thought was intriguing because he had good stuff. The Orioles had talked pretty highly about him coming up throughout the minor league system. So Isaac Matson is, I, I don't know. I think he's intriguing to the point where he's probably a toss-up to make the major league roster, but might start in AAA Norfolk. But I think the stuff has been talked about enough where maybe he'll be able to carve something out. He also didn't get a whole lot of experience even at AAA right. in 2021. Only 17 in the third innings there. Missed a lot of time. I think this was somewhat of a lost year. Even though he did make his major league debut in 2021, only pitching, you know, 21 and two-thirds innings combined on the season is is somewhat of a lost year for him. I know he went through some personal struggles as well. Still is only 26. Just not not the season that I'm sure he was hoping for, and I agree. I, I want to see more of him. You know, whether that comes at, at Norfolk, if there's not a spot for him at the big league roster, I just want to see him get regular innings at Norfolk because I think that he can thrive there and then get the call up. I don't know if he's ready to make the club out of spring training. But if he blows you away in Sarasota, you got to at least consider him, considering how few options you have here. But I I do want to see more from him. And he is not like some of the other guys on this list that we're going to talk about who are starters that might convert to relievers. He has been a reliever for several years now in the minor leagues. So this is the role that he could succeed in. Yeah, and when he came over as part of the Dylan Bundy trade, he wasn't talked about as much as a Kyle Bradish, but we were still excited about Isaac Matson's potential as a reliever who was pretty good at AAA at the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, Marcos Duplan, who, remember, was not on this 40-man roster after the season ended. They decided to uh, expose him to waivers. He cleared waivers two weeks later in November, re-signed with the team on a minor league deal. Weird year for Marcos Duplan. Considering he was in the Futures game. Yeah, really random. Alongside Adley Rutschman. Each team gets two, two players to send to the Futures game, and instead of Grayson Rodriguez or Kyle Stowers or anybody or else. anybody in the top 30. I think it was mostly a roster thing for them. I don't know exactly how they pick these guys. It's not like a voting process. So Marcos Duplan was one of the Orioles' representatives, and then he made his big league debut not long after that. First 11 big league games and appearances, excellent. Only allowed two hits, no runs, and struck out 11. The next 19 big league innings, not so much. 15 earned runs in those next 19 innings. So he ended up with a 4-5-0 ERA on the season in 40 innings pitched, eight and a half strikeouts per nine. Weird season. I want to see more from him. Yes. And I think the Orioles do too, and that's why they brought him back. I think the question is, do you want to see more from Marcos Duplan in AAA, or do you want to see more from him in the majors? I would argue that you should see more of him in the majors because you mentioned the first 11 or so innings of his career. He was very good to the point where it seemed like he would be able to stick around at this level. The consistency wasn't there, but next season he's only going to be 25 years old. Yeah. So I would like to see Marcos Duplan at the major league level, see if he can stick around and be more consistent because he has at least showed flashes of the reliever that he could potentially be for the Orioles. I don't think he's going to be a high leverage guy at any point, but I think he has the potential to be a solid reliever. And at just 25, 
it's worth taking that chance with him at the majors. And you know what? If he doesn't look great to start the year, you can send him back down to AAA. It's not like a Paul Fry situation where he's older and sending him down to AAA is a last resort if things just completely derail. But for Marcos Duplan, I think you can move him back and forth a little bit more. So those are all the candidates that the Orioles have in-house that they had in 2021 as well. Those are the familiar names. A couple names that they added recently via waiver claim right before the lockout. Righty Brian Baker and lefty CNL Perez. Baker's 27. Perez is 25. Baker has just one big league inning in his career with Toronto in 2021, but he was excellent in the minor leagues, a 131 ERA in 41 and a third innings with AAA Buffalo. And then CNL Perez, more big league experience, despite the fact that he's two years younger. 24 big league innings with Cincinnati last year, but the production was poor. 6.38 ERA, still young, as mentioned, uh, and wasn't as good in AAA as Brian Baker was. A 3.26 ERA in 30 and a third innings for AAA Louisville. So Baker a little bit older, a little bit better at this point. CNL Perez, younger, not as good, but potentially has a higher ceiling. Yeah, the question for me with Baker comes, if he's got a 131 ERA and a whip under .9 in AAA, why are the Blue Jays not calling him up at that point? Which is kind of my question there. Is it a stuff thing? I mean, the numbers are very right. good. They, they probably, that's the question, right? They, I'm sure they know something about him that we don't, you right. know? And, and because he went, that's I, why he's available. He goes there has the, to be a reason. He goes <laughs> the entire season at AAA. It's not like he was bouncing between levels. He goes the entire season at AAA with very, very good numbers. It's just surprising to me that he only pitched one game at the major league level. I think for Toronto, a team that was trying to make the playoffs and was, you know, in the hunt for most of the year, I think they were very careful. Whereas with the Orioles, I think we got used to, if you put up any kind of good numbers in AAA, you're going to get called up. And I think a lot, and I think a lot of those AAA reliever numbers can be exaggerated. I'll say that they can look better than they actually are. Look at Dustin Knight last year, who was elite as a reliever if with AAA Norfolk last year, got called up, and it just did not translate. I remember Mickey Janis had a good start to the season, clamors to call him up. He gets called up, and his knuckleball gets hit very, very hard. So I think it it is not entirely – it doesn't paint a full picture, AAA relieving numbers. Yeah, but I think Baker, at least with those numbers, is intriguing. I, I think you yes. at least need to give him a chance at the majors. Yeah, and Perez, intriguing mostly because of his youth. Right. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's a – 26-year-old lefty yeah, with pretty good numbers at AAA. The Major League numbers weren't there, but clearly they thought the stuff was good enough to be called up to the majors last year, even though the numbers weren't as good. So kind of a different case yes. there from Baker. Exact opposite. Right? Right. They kept giving him an opportunity. They gave him 24 big league innings. And I know Cincinnati was not an excellent team last year, but he kept getting an opportunity even though the numbers weren't great, whereas Baker did not get an opportunity even though his numbers were great. So... Both intriguing guys that I think will come into spring training, each with a pretty good shot of making the team. I agree. Uh, All right, two other guys that we have not seen but are in the organization and were recently added to the 40-man roster right before the deadline. Two righties, Felix Bautista and Logan Gillespie. Bautista was less of a surprise. Gillespie was a total wild card being added to the uh, the 40-man roster. Bautista... If the Orioles want one more guy in this bullpen who has elite strikeout numbers, but incredibly high walk numbers, they would go with Bautista here. Yeah, I think Bautista has a chance to make the major league roster. I've had that take for a while, and that's the take that I'm sticking to. You ought. The strikeout numbers were insane. The the walk numbers were insanely bad. So if he can figure out that command, Felix Bautista has a chance to be a very good reliever at the major league level. Gillespie is arm talent. Everything we have heard from pitching coach Justin Ramsey is that the arm talent is so good that if he figures out the command and he's able to hone his stuff and get it in the strike zone, you can't let that kind of arm go to another organization, and that's why he was protected. I don't think we see Gillespie 
this year, but I think Felix Batista makes the major league roster. Yeah, Gillespie just didn't get high enough in the organization last year, and he's still only 24 years old. So, you know, only pitched at high A Aberdeen. It's not like he even got to Bowie. So I think he, even though they protected him, I, I agree. I think it was more a move of they didn't want to lose him. Whereas Bautista, I think they're curious about. Right. 26 years old, closer to the big leagues. Trip pitched in AAA Norfolk last year. But those walk numbers, he has to get under control. And another guy who's excellent arm talent. I mean, you know, you talk about Gillespie's arm talent. I mean, Bautista can hit triple digits. So great arm talent. I think the Orioles might want to work with him a little bit more in AAA before they call him up. However, he's very much a candidate to get some big league playing time. Yeah, I think there's a chance he starts the year at AAA Norfolk, but he was also pretty good there last year. He had a 245 ERA and like 15 strikeouts per night. Right. So the numbers at AAA were good. It's it's really just the command for Batista. Exactly. It, the walk numbers, whew, don't look him up. Not good. No. But he had a lower walk, walks per nine than Fry and Scott had in the big leagues. 5.8 yeah. is still not as high as 6.2 and 6.7. The bar is is not very high no, for those and, walk it, numbers, but yes. Yeah, again. All right, uh, swingmen. These are guys that are have been mostly starters throughout their minor league careers, and I think we saw last year the Orioles aren't afraid to use these guys out of the bullpen if they feel like they're big league ready, but they don't have an open spot in the rotation. And it's going to be really impossible for us to determine who's going to be in the bullpen and who's going to be in the rotation because Zach Lowther got a lot of work out of the bullpen last year. Mike Bauman got a lot of work out of the bullpen last year. Two guys that throughout their minor league careers have been starters. So I honestly have no idea how Hyde intends to use these guys, but they have the chance to bounce back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation because they are clearly good enough to be big league players at this point in their careers. Yeah, the Orioles might not be afraid to use them in the bullpen or as a starter or whatever it might be. I am a little afraid of that <laughs> because we talked about Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells and Mike Bauman a little bit when we talked about the starting rotation, but none of these guys were really able to be given a consistent role anywhere. Yeah. All of them were bounced between the starting rotation and the bullpen. And with Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells in particular, once they were made pretty much full-time starters. You go out every fifth day. That didn't happen until September, but once it did, I mean, maybe it's coincidental, but once they were made full-time starters, their numbers really started to improve, and they looked like they were showing the potential that we thought they had as a starting pitcher. And I would make the argument that that was because they had a consistent role. They knew they were going out every fifth day, and they were getting more comfortable at the major league level. That comfortability can also come out of the bullpen, but it worries me a little bit to look at some of these pitching prospects that we are hoping turn into not top end of the rotation starters, but number four, number five guys in your rotation. It worries me to say, okay, you're not going to know if you are a starter or a bullpen guy this season. Maybe you'll go out every fifth day. Maybe you'll go out every three. I don't know. The funkiness of the 2020, 2021 seasons cannot be forgotten about here. Right. And I think that that is a legitimate factor in why the Orioles use some of these guys out of the bullpen. And maybe it wasn't what they wanted to do, but I think a lot of guys coming off no full season in 2020, really only instructional camp innings that they got there and work at home, I think the Orioles wanted to put less pressure on them to go out and pitch five, six innings as a starter and just wanted to use them for a couple innings out of the bullpen. So I think workload was a big issue there. Right. And I don't want to I don't want to blame Brandon Hyde. He just needed arms yeah. at that point. You need major league quality arms and the Orioles didn't have a ton of them. Would Zach you? Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman, major league quality arms. So you just need to use them. And I, the hope is that the addition of a Jordan Lyles and maybe one more starter in free agency will help alleviate that and right. will allow these guys to be used as they were used in the minor leagues. Right. But this category includes, uh, I mean, you mentioned a few of them, but Keegan Aiken is 27. Bauman is 26. Uh, Joey Crable, who is still surviving, still hanging on to that 40-man roster at this point, uh, is 29. He was really only used out of the bullpen last year. Uh, Lowther is 25, Alexander Wells is 25, Bruce Zimmerman, I think he'll be in the rotation, but he's 26. So, 
you know, you have guys that could be used in the rotation. And we talked about on our rotation podcast, go back and listen to it if you haven't yet, how it's going to come down to spring training. It's going to come down to what the Orioles see from these guys in spring training here. Yeah, and my hope is that if there are two or three of these guys that make the rotation, you give them a solid shot at the rotation for however many starts it might be. And then if it doesn't work, then you put them in the bullpen. I just, I worry about having a Zach Lowther type where you never get to see the full potential because he's so in between roles that he can't really figure out what he needs to do as a starter or what he needs to do as a bullpen arm because he needs to worry about both. Exactly. If Zach Lowther makes the rotation, I hope he gets 10 starts. And if he doesn't look good over 10 starts, put him in the bullpen. The flip side of that is the Orioles tried that with Dean Kramer and it didn't work. They yeah. never used him out of the bullpen. They only used him as a starter. And they, they said on opening day, you're a starter. You're going to get one out of, you're going to start one every five or six days. And he got that opportunity. He was never used out of the bullpen and it just didn't work. Right. But you know, I'd rather see the potential as a starting pitcher, whether the potential is realized or not. Yeah. You at least got the answer, at least we think so far, unless Dean Kramer, who we haven't really talked about, gets another shot at the starting rotation. Unless that happens, we think we know the answer to Dean Kramer, which is that he is probably not going to be in this starting rotation moving forward. But we only got that answer because he was a consistent starter last year. And even though the answer wasn't what you wanted... You still found out. You did. Hopefully things turn around for him. Hopefully. He did get starts middle of the season and then again right. had to be sent back down to AAA because he wasn't cutting it. So, uh, Dean we'll Kramer might fall into this category he as might. well as a swing man that could potentially be a long reliever. Yeah, or they convert him full-time to a reliever. Right. If that's what they want to do with him. If, if they are fully ready to give up the starter experiment, they could do that with Dean Kramer. Yeah. And I call it an experiment. It would be more like be a bullpen experiment because he was a starter right. um but abandon him as a starter a la zach Britton um years ago yeah so um, i think two or three of these guys make the rotation two or three of them are in the bullpen and maybe some of them start at triple a all right let's give our opening day bullpen guesses and we want to hear yours as well please comment below with your bullpen guesses the orioles went with nine relievers to start the 2021 season last year 26-man roster, that could change. We'll see, given the state of baseball right now and given the CBA is in flux, could have a 27-man roster. Who knows? Let's assume it's a 26-man roster. I'm going to say the Orioles go with nine relievers again. Who would be your nine relievers if opening day were tomorrow? Well, I went with 10 because oh, I okay. cheated. So ten, I, 10 relievers would mean you're still going with five starters. Yeah. And you're just going with 11 position players? The reason I go 10 relievers is because I think one of them that I have is essentially a sixth starter swingman type where sometimes he's going to start, sometimes he's going to be in the bullpen. He kind of bounces in between for me. But the 10 guys that I have, Tyler Wells, Tanner Scott, Cole Sulcer, Paul Fry, Jorge Lopez, Dylan Tate. Those are my locks Mm -hmm. off the board. And then kind of the toss-ups that I went with are CNL Perez and Brian Baker, the okay. two guys that the Orioles claimed on waivers, Felix Batista, and Alexander Wells. Where is Keegan Aiken in this discussion? Starter. Okay. Where is Zach Lowther in this discussion? Starter. Starter. So you yes. have them both in the starting rotation. Yep. Keegan Aiken and Zach Lowther as starters. Alexander Wells as my bullpen arm that is probably going to be your sixth starter or can make a start here or there. I think Mike Bauman starts in AAA okay. and is called up probably pretty quickly. Do Would this change, however, if the Orioles took one or more relievers in the Rule 5 draft? Yes. Okay. I think if the Orioles take a reliever in the Rule 5 draft, you're probably looking at CNL Perez Being starting off. at AAA, okay. if I had to guess. Okay. I have a similar bullpen. All the locks are there for me as well. I have Tyler Wells, Tanner Scott, Cole Sulcer, Jorge Lopez, Dylan Tate. I do have Paul Fry making it. So that's my sixth reliever. I went with nine relievers, so three more guys. For right now, I slotted in Brian Baker. I think he has a slightly higher chance than CNL Perez at making the big league 
team out of spring training just because he has, what else does he really have to prove in AAA? I would agree. Um, and then I have Keegan Aiken as my long man. I don't think that they use him as a starter uh, because I just think that they're ready to move on from that um, and try him as a reliever. And then my ninth spot goes to Rule 5 draft pick. There is the potential. The Orioles last year, their nine guys into, included two Rule 5 draft picks. It, yeah. Max Aroller and Tyler Wells both made the club out of spring training and were in the bullpen. That's a possibility as well, in which case, if I were to bump one guy off, maybe Brian Baker would probably be the guy that I would bump off here, or you move Keegan Aiken to the starting rotation. Yeah, maybe I'm just being optimistic about the Rule 5 draft, which we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast, but we there will. are a lot of good position players that would fill needs for the Orioles that are available in the Rule 5 drafts, and I guess the optimist in me is hoping that they go with one of the position players rather than a bullpen arm. Well, they'll take, I think odds are they'll take two guys. Probably. They have 38 men on the, the 40-man roster at this point. Right. So they have two open spots. They've always taken two guys under Michael Elias. I think they'll take two guys, maybe one pitcher, one position player. Yeah. Also, don't discount the fact the Orioles can make additions to their bullpen via minor league deal now or via major league deal or via trade. Remember, Adam Plucko was added for cash. He was a trade right before the season from Cleveland because Cleveland was clearly going to cut him and the Orioles wanted to pick him up. So they, they traded, sent some cash to Cleveland and got Adam Plutko and he ended up being serviceable for the first couple months of the season then falling out. Yeah, and I mean, once free agency starts, the Orioles could sign a bullpen arm. They could sign a starter that would bounce one of the guys that I had in the starting rotation into the bullpen. A lot of things up in the air. And the Rule 5 draft, like you mentioned, are we getting Wade LeBlanc back for a third straight year? As the opening day starter? I think so. As the opening day starter? Wade LeBlanc, opening day. Wow. That'd be Tommy It, ha- it happened era. once. No, it didn't. It didn't? No. Tommy Wait, Malone. I'm thinking of Tommy Malone. Getting, That's what I'm thinting of. Come on. Two lefties. Wow. You're getting them confused, I yeah. think. Um, all right. Well, please let us know what you think the opening day bullpen will be. We will be back next week to discuss. Not sure yet. Please send your, your comments, your suggestions, because that's where we got most of our, con- our yeah. uh, content from, is your suggestions. Uh, of course, you can listen to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating, all that good stuff as well. And give us a thumbs up on YouTube and Facebook. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing today's podcast. Please go outside. Enjoy this beautiful 57-degree day here in Baltimore. We'll catch you next time.